Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. You guys enjoying the, the nice weather? He almost had to put a sweatshirt on this morning. Welcome to Northern California. Last week, it, man, it was it seemed like uh, summer came early last week, and then this week there was, uh, it's like, oh, is it back to going to get cold again? Uh, but then it'll be back to 100, I see, uh, in a few days. So uh, probably uh, like our family, summertime, and I know we get different weather and, and all kinds of things. You're probably doing some things with your family this weekend. But during the summer, most of us take a little bit of time and we get away. And so you may have already done that with your family. Maybe you uh, took a trip. Maybe you went to the East Coast. Maybe you realized that plane tickets were like gold. And so you decided to stay a little closer to home this, this season. But you, you probably, like our family, took some time or are planning to take some time to, to take some vacation to get some rest. Uh, a few weeks ago, our family, we took our kind of time of away and we went to Alabama for about a week and a half. And uh, this was a unique vacation for our family because my wife Lori wasn't able to go with us. So you're like, you and Lori are doing okay. You guys need some counseling. What's going on? We probably do need counseling, but we are doing okay. Uh, But she wasn't able to go because our family, if you know, if you follow my wife on social media, we have six puppies living in our house right now. And so my wife had to stay back and we started a little breeding business. And, and before you feel really bad for her, like, oh, you didn't get to go on vacation with your family, know that my wife was absolutely living her best life in a house with six puppies and it was good. But when, when we go on vacation, specifically to the South, which is where I'm from, and you probably do this too when you kind of go back home, you look forward to certain things when you kind of go back to where, where your home was. And maybe for you, it's the South. Maybe it's a different part of the country. Maybe it's, maybe it's local. But for me, when I go back to the South, there's a few things I look forward to. One is, man, I look forward to Publix cookies. And if you've never been to the South, you're like, what's a Publix cookie? And, and I look forward to those. I, I look forward to uh, some good barbecue Uh, I look forward to really good sweet tea. Like out here, if you say, ask people for sweet tea, they're like, I can bring you some sugar to put in it. Like, no, you just don't even get it. If there are grains of sugar in the tea, it's not the sweet tea. I need it like mixed in and melted. And it's a South thing. And, And there's some really good sweet tea. The barbecue, like I said, is good. And when we were in Alabama, we went to one of our favorite places. If you've ever been to Alabama, you may have visited this place too. It's called Dreamland Barbecue. I think we have a picture of us before we went in and worshiped uh, at Dreamland. Uh, But we went to Dreamland. And and what makes Dreamland so good? In any restaurant where you go in and there is a grown man sweating with a mop and putting barbecue sauce on several racks of ribs, 
you know it's about to get good for you. And that's what this is. You go into dreamland and there's this guy and there's just racks of ribs on the grill and he's sweating. You definitely got some of his sweat in your food. It actually makes it taste better. And he's, he's mopping barbecue sauce. It's flying. And so we went to, to dreamland and we had a really good time and uh, gained a few pounds. And, and, and I love, like every region, man, barbecue is just something that's good in the South. Other things that when you go to the South, you realize is... That, that weather is superhuman. Uh, when you go to the South, you, you realize that people are really passionate about college football. And when you go to the South, you realize that everyone in the South is a Christian. That, that's just, if you're in the South, that good sweet tea, good barbecue, love for, for a passion for college football, and everybody's a Christian in the South. And in fact, if you were to walk up to somebody in Birmingham, Alabama, you go downtown and you were to walk up to them and you were to to say, hey, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? I mean, nine times out of 10. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And then if you were to kind of follow that question up with another question and say something like, okay, so, so what makes you a Christian? Man, they would confidently tell you why they think they're a Christian. I mean, they, it might be totally wrong. It might be, hey, uh, my great-grandpa was a Baptist pastor down the road, and we used to go there and then go to grandma's house for fried chicken afterwards, and, and they think, well, that makes me a Christian because I did that. Or, hey, I was at a little, little camp when I was four years old, and a guy said, if you'll say these magic words, then, then you'll be a Christian. And I said the magic words, and, and they would be confident about their answer to, hey, I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a, of course I'm a Christian. Because in the South, just like other parts of the country, the, the other parts of the country like Catholicism is part of the culture. In the South, Christianity is just kind of part of the culture. But, but here's what you would see. Even though you would hear people say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, my great-grandpa was a pastor you would see a lot of people who say things with their mouth and yet their life doesn't look anything like what you would think a Christian would look like. What you would think a follower of Jesus would look like. In fact, they might not say it this way, but Jesus to them is like a tool on a very full tool belt. It's like, man, if you you imagine a really full tool belt with a bunch of different tools on it, well, Jesus is just one of those tools on that very full tool belt, and he's available to them maybe when they get into a pinch, they might pull out that tool because they need Jesus in that moment. But other than that, he doesn't make much of an impact on their life. For for some of you, this might be why you have straight-armed the church over the years. Maybe you're watching online or you're here this morning. You say, hey, Chris, this is the the actual reason that I have kind of shunned the church. Or maybe this is, I haven't been to church in a while. Or or maybe I walked away from the church for a season of my life is because you saw people that said, they they talked like they were a Christian. They talked like they were a follower of Jesus. But yet when you looked at their life, when you looked at how they treated people, it just didn't add up. And so maybe you walked away or you said, you know what, if that's what it's all about, why would I want that? And so you kind of straight-armed the church and straight-armed what you thought was Jesus. 
And this summer, we've been walking through a book written by Jesus' brother. Actually, it's a letter. And the letter is called James. It was written by a guy named James, who was Jesus' half-brother. And this idea of people that talked like they had faith, but yet their life didn't, didn't show it, this was something that concerned James enough to where he, he used a big portion of his letter to talk about it. See, in this letter, James is writing to people, they're Jewish people, who have been scattered all over the known world. They've been scattered because of persecution. Most of them started in Jerusalem, but then when, when persecution and kind of tough times started to happen in Jerusalem for people that were Jesus followers, they scattered all over the world. And James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and so he's writing a letter to these people, and he's writing about this very issue. See, for, for some reason... There's some people that are going to get James's letter that at some point in their life have started to think that knowing information about Jesus is the same thing as having a relationship with him. And so James, this bothered him. And he, as you read his letter, you realize he's not one to shy away from a tough conversation. And so he dives right in and he dives in with two questions. He says this. He starts, this, is, this concerned him, and he, he starts this conversation about this idea of saying you have faith, but yet your life doesn't look like it. He starts that conversation with two simple questions. He says this in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but does not have works? He says, simple question, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims, this is a really important word, this word claims, someone that says they have faith, but they don't actually really have faith, someone claims to have faith, what good is it if someone claims to have faith, but yet there's no external change or difference in their life? They say they have faith, yet their life doesn't show that they have faith in any way. What good is it? And then he asks a second real simple question. He says, can such faith save them? Can, can this type of faith save someone? Can it really be saving faith? Can a faith that doesn't express itself in good works be a saving faith? Two simple questions that James, he starts this conversation with. Can faith that doesn't affect someone's life really be the faith that Jesus provides us? Some of you, and I've talked about this before, uh, we have an orange tree in our backyard. And I've mentioned our orange tree. And we have an orange tree in our backyard that is, and I don't know if your orange tree does this, but we've invited some of you over to our house because our orange tree just like has tons of oranges. All, I mean, it just gets so many oranges. And so we, we can't even keep up with them. So man, we invite friends over and like, Hey, get as many oranges as you want. And I want you to imagine that you were over at the house and, and I said, Hey, Hey, run. If you want some oranges, run into the backyard and, and grab you as many as you want. And so you're like, yeah, absolutely. And you, you walk out there and you're starting to pick oranges and you feel like you're on the wizard of Oz because the tree starts to talk to you. And the tree says to you, hey, 
man, hey, go ahead and get as many as you want. I, I hope that your family enjoys the apples that you're getting from my tree. First of all, I, hopefully you'd be a little bit freaked out that a tree was talking to you. But if you got past that, then you'd look at that, that tree and say, hey, hey buddy, I mean, I, I, maybe these look like apples to you, but these aren't apples. I'm going to enjoy my oranges from your tree, but, but these aren't. No, he's like, no, no, no. I'm not an orange tree. I'm an apple tree. Dude, you're, you're not an apple tree. I, I'm picking oranges. I have a whole like bag full of oranges that I've gotten from your tree. No, no, no. I promise I'm an apple tree. So you'd probably be like, ah, he was, something's wrong with this tree, so I'm just going to get my oranges. And then, and then you'd come into me and be like, hey, Chris, I, I don't know if you knew this, but you have got a whacked out orange tree in your, it, it th- he thinks he's an apple tree. And of course, super absurd illustration, but, but it's, it's the same idea James is saying, man, if you say you have faith and it doesn't affect your life, do you really have faith? You can say you're an apple tree all day long, but if you don't produce apples, come on, this isn't rocket science. And this is what James is saying. And as James is writing this, he he may be remembering some of the things he heard his brother Jesus say. Because his brother Jesus talked about this too in Matthew chapter 7. He said it this way. He said, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Bottom line, your fruit shows what type of tree you are. It's like, duh. And James, as he's talking about this, and as he introduces this conversation with these two questions, now what he does is he gives them a tangible example. He says, all right, let me, let me illustrate this. Let me give you an example of how absurd it is to say that you have faith, but yet your life doesn't show it. Let, let me give you an example that's just as absurd. He says this in, in verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food. So if you run into somebody that doesn't have any clothes and is starving, I mean, these are, these are not like, hey, things that you hope to have in your life, and these are nice luxuries. No, like these are the vital things you have to have to be alive. Like you need clothing, you need food. So this isn't just a brother that's just having a hard time. No, this is, I'm coming up on somebody who is struggling to live, survive, has no food, doesn't have clothes, it's it's shameful, they're starving, they're desperate. And then James says this, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace. Stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? So if you you come up on somebody that is literally like struggling to survive, they don't have food, they don't have clothing, things that are vital to their life. And you basically come up beside them and say, you know what? I hope you have a great day. I hope you get some food. And when you do, make sure you don't eat too much. 
I mean, you're polite to them. You say it in a really nice way, but, but I mean, you, you don't do anything about it. James is saying, like, how, how absurd is this? What, what good is it? Your words, they might be sweet and gracious and nice, but, but if you don't help them, your words are useless. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, okay, in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead. What does the word dead mean? It means not alive. Like we, we know that it means it's useless by itself. He's basically saying just, just like professed compassion without action is phony, faith without works is empty. It's non-existent. And then what he says, he says, he, he kind of, uh, he talk, has a conversation with an imaginary person. He says this, because there's, there's always one in the crowd that's a smart aleck and it's like, oh, let me, let me, let me challenge that. Let me show you how I can do faith without works. And so James, he kind of goes right at it and he says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. James is saying, ah, oh, somebody will say, hey, I have faith, and, and you have the works. And James says, that's, that's absurd. I mean, you can say you believe something, but if it doesn't show up in your life, how do we know? James says, my beliefs, you, you won't have to wonder. I'll just show them to you by how I live. If, if James was living today, he might illustrate it this way. He might illustrate it, say, you know, there's a guy that, if you're an athlete, maybe you'll lean into this. There's a guy that, man, he has the best basketball shoes money can buy. He looks the part. He talks like a baller. Like he, he from the outward appearance, he looks like he's a baller. But at the end of the day, if he can't step on a court and play ball, it doesn't matter the cool shoes he has or the look that he, that he looks the part or that he even talks the part. James is saying, hey, you got the shoes, you've got, you talk the game, you, you look the part, but you got to get on the court if you're going to be a ball. Like you, you gotta, that's where you show. James basically saying, I... I'm not going to talk a lot. I'm just going to get on the court and play. And you'll know that I, that I can play by my actions. Because this is, this is absurd to James that someone would say, hey, I have faith, but my life doesn't reflect it. I have this intellectual knowledge about Jesus, but yet my life doesn't reflect it. And then James, not being one to like skirt a tough conversation, he goes, he's like, let me just take this to the next level. He says this, and I don't know if this was sarcastic, but in my brain, I hear him sarcastically saying this. So probably not, because that's probably sin, but I, in my brain, I hear James writing this kind of sarcastically. He says this, you believe that God is one good. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And basically, what James is doing is he's quoting the passage of Scripture that is probably most known to a Jewish audience. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, this was a passage that was so familiar to them, they recited it, this idea that the Lord our God is one. 
They said it with their children. I mean, this was something they all knew. And, and here's what James is saying. You, you, believe, you have this intellectual knowledge. You believe that God is one. Golf clap for you, buddy. Good for you. And then he says this. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Good for you. You believe God's one. You, your mommy taught you that when you were a little kid. Good for you. Even the demons believe that intellectually, and they actually shudder because of it. He, he says, even demons affirm that God is one, and they tremble at its implications. Even they get that. If knowing the right information was enough to save someone, the demons would be good to go. They know more than we do. They know more truth and more information than the people that James was writing to. And so James's point is, hey, this idea of, of knowing enough about the Bible or knowing enough about Jesus or knowing enough about religion, good for you. You're in class with the demons then because that's what they know. And so now that he's basically saying, hey, theology, it's not enough. Saving faith includes trust and obedience. Some, somewhere in the world, I mean, I don't know kind of where it came from, probably just our, our natural pride, but we in the church world think if we've taken more classes than the next person, we're more spiritual. If we've read more than the next person, like we somehow we have, and I'm not again, I, I study the Bible every day. I think you should. It's vital for a lot of reasons. But knowing a lot of information does not equate to intimacy with Jesus. You think Judas knew a lot of information? He, he walked with Jesus for three years, at least three years. He knew way more than we know. He saw it with his own eyes. Yet he betrayed Jesus and walked away. Information's not enough. And James, after he's, he said, hey, even the demons believe that. He's, they, even they know that and they, it, it, it emotionally affects them. They shudder because of it. Now that he's got their attention, he says this. He says, senseless person. How do you really feel, James? Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? He's basically saying, are you ready to listen now? Are you willing to see this from God's perspective now? And what James does is he, he closes this little section by giving two real-life examples of people that are heroic to these people that, that are reading this. He talks about two people that they've heard about since they were little kids. I mean, they, they might have had posters up in their, their, their house as a little kid. Instead of having an athlete, they had a poster of Abraham or Rahab. I mean, these were people they had heard about. And he uses two real-life examples that they would be very familiar with. And he says this in verse 21. Wasn't Abraham, who was their hero, Abraham and Moses are like heroes. It's like Michael Jordan and LeBron James. These are like the heroes of these people. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? 
And if you were to read that verse and you were just to read that verse, you'd be like, uh-oh. Did I get this whole thing wrong? Because that sounds real. That sounds like there's this works aspect of salvation. And here's the, here's the key, this word justified, which is kind of a big Bible word. Maybe you're watching online and you're like, eh, yeah, I've heard that word. I'm not really sure what it means. But, but here's what it means to be justified. It basically means to be declared righteous. So you and I, the scripture tells us, and it says this in several parts of the scriptures, that you and I were born with sin. You didn't sin because, like, like you sinned because you were a sinner, you didn't become a sinner because you sinned, if that makes sense. Like, we were born with a sin nature. We were born with, like, going against God in our nature. Like, you don't have to teach a, a two-year-old to be selfish. You don't have to teach a little, like, it's in our nature. And because God loved us so much, our sin had to be taken care of. It had to be punished. And so God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life. Jesus, God's son, lived a sinless life. So he, he lived the life that we couldn't live because we were sinners. And then at the age of 33, he went to a cross and he paid for our sin. Our sin had to be paid for because we were sinners. So when God looked at us, he saw a sinful person. And so Jesus came and he changed that. Jesus went to the cross and he said, hey, I will take their sin on myself. I will pay for that sin so that they can have my righteousness. So he made a trade. He took our sin. He paid for it with his blood. And because of that, now when God looks at us, he sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. Before, when he looked at us, he saw us as sinful. And Jesus came between us and he said, hey, I'll take their sin. I'll pay for it. So now when God looks at us, he sees us as justified. He sees us as holy and righteous because of Jesus. And what James is saying is, Abraham was justified by works in offering Isaac. The way he uses this word justify, James, he emphasizes that works don't justify you, but they demonstrate that you've been justified. So because Abraham, his life showed it, it proved that he was righteous on the inside. His works didn't make him righteous. His works proved that it had already happened, that he was righteous. His works were the fruit of his life. And, and it goes on, he says this, you see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. He goes on and he says this, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Abraham have to do to be righteous? Did he have to work? No. Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. And then his life showed what had already taken place inside of him. See, believing God is what justified Abraham and his works demonstrated that he believed God. 
He says this in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's basically saying works on the outside prove what has taken place on the inside. He says in the same way, like Abraham, let me talk to you about another one of your heroes that you've heard about since since you were a little kid. He says in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works? in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. So this lady Rahab was a prostitute in the Old Testament. And she lived in a city called Jericho, who the Israelites were going to take over. God had given them that city. And Joshua, the general of the Israelites, sent a few spies into Jericho to look at the the, the city, to see the forces that they had. And when they, they came to the city, they met this lady Rahab. And Rahab had heard about their God, and she believed in their God. And because she believed in their God, she hid the spies. Her actions showed that she believed. And it was because of that that actually Rahab was saved. And so so James is saying, let let me give you two real-life examples of people that didn't just say they were, were, were followers of Jesus or say they had faith, but their life showed that they had faith. Abraham, he, man, you, you read through Hebrews 11, read through Genesis, Abraham, man, he, he didn't make all the right decisions, but he did some big things because of what he believed about God. He took huge risk and obeyed God because of what had happened on the inside of him. Rahab put her life on the line to hide these spies from a a nation that was going to take over her nation. She did that because of what had taken place on the inside. Because of what had taken place on the inside, she showed that faith on the outside by hiding these spies. And, And James, as he closes this section, he's like, just in case you didn't get it, let me say this plainly again. He says this, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith that doesn't affect your life isn't really faith. It's empty. It's dead. See, knowledge about Jesus or even proximity to Jesus followers doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't, it does it, it might be a good thing to have some more information about Jesus. It might be a good thing to hang out with people at a church or be around other people that are followers of Jesus. Those are good things, but they don't do anything for you on the inside. They don't change you. They don't make you a follower of Jesus. In fact, Paul said it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what happens to them? He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. When someone really puts their faith in Jesus, it transforms them from the inside out. And what James was saying What Paul was saying, what Jesus said several times is if their life doesn't show their faith, then they probably ought to check to see if they really have faith. 
Another way to say it is this. Faith in our hearts will lead to fruit in our lives. Because when we embrace the gospel, when we embrace the fact that we need Jesus and he provided salvation for us and we put our faith in that, we become new. And when we become new on the inside, it begins to show itself on the outside. Another way to say it is this. Saving faith leads to active obedience. Saving faith, like true faith, just, it leads just naturally to active obedience. And James knew this firsthand because there was a whole section of James' life where he did not follow Jesus. In fact, he thought his brother was absurd and crazy. And it wasn't until he saw his brother resurrected from the dead that, that James put his faith in Jesus and put his faith in what Jesus had done on the cross. But, but James, he, he knew this firsthand. He knew that obeying God and doing things his way wasn't a drudgery, but it was what is best. Sometimes we think like, oh, if I put my faith in God and he really changes my life, my life's going to start being miserable. And, and James, he knew this firsthand. Like when we put our faith in God and when, when he changes us from the inside out and our life begins to show it, man, God loves us. God has our best in mind. So active obedience is what is good for us. I mean, ju just think about what's been going on in our country. Over the last few weeks, we've had a, a lot of things, and, and there's people in this room watching online that have a lot of different opinions about a, all, this, all the topics. But here, here's one thing, and we, I, we never get political here. We keep Jesus the lead story. But here's, here's something that we could all agree on. No matter what you feel about abortion or about life, here's what we can all agree on. If... Men loved women the way Jesus taught us to love women, it changed the game. If men and women followed Jesus's and Paul's teaching on what God's best is for marriage and sexuality, there would never be a baby that wasn't wanted. And again, we have different people that believe different things. As a church, man, we, we are for life. That's one of our values. We believe like every person is made in the image of God. So we're for life. But, but man, we have people that, that go to this church that have different opinions and all are welcomed. Different people watching online. But here's what we can all agree on. Whether, no matter what you believe, when we do things God's way, God's not saying, let me make it miserable on them. Let me make it hard. He's saying, no, this is what's best. I love you so much. I want the best for you. Here's the way to do it. And here's what James is saying. When faith is in our hearts, God's best shows in our life. And that's not a drudgery. It's what's best. It's what's good. And, and as we... Think about this, because here's what I know about you, and here's what you know about me. We don't want to get to the end of our life and feel cheated. You don't want to get to the end of your life and feel that, man, oh, I missed it. I missed what was most important. I had this thing wrong. 
And if we're not going to do that, there's some, some really straightforward questions that we have to be willing to answer, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning. And here, here's a few of them. I want you to think about these questions. Simple. Here's the first question. What does it take to become a follower of Jesus? It's an important question that, that we need to... Man, you don't want to be like, oh, I kind of think I know. Like, you want to be sure on this one. What does it take? Paul, Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It's faith. So what does it take? It takes faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross, that he died and rose from the grave. It's faith. Here's the second question. Am I a follower of Jesus? So that's a pretty good question to ask. Again, you, you might not want to be. You might not buy into the whole Jesus thing. You might be watching online. You may be listening to this on a podcast. Or you're here this morning. It's just a good question to think about. Like, what does it take to become a follower of Jesus? Because maybe you grew up in a, in a scenario where you had to do a bunch of work and you had to give a bunch of money and you had to do all these things and check all these boxes and you just got, it just got like tiring and exhausting and so you walked away. And so is that really what it takes? And, and Jesus would say, no, it's faith, it's belief. And so the second question is, oh, have I done that? Am I a follower of Jesus? Has there been a time in my life where I have put my faith in the fact that I have sinned, Jesus died for my sin, he rose from the grave, and he offers me newness on the inside? Have I grabbed hold of that? And then, then the last question, does my faith show fruit of being a follower of Jesus? Does my faith... like? If I say I'm a follower, like, is there fruit in my life? Not that we're trying to show off to anybody, but is there just natural fruit in my life that if someone were to watch my life over a week, would they just naturally think, wow, they must be a follower of Jesus? And maybe you're saying, like, what do you mean by fruit? Well, Paul said it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, no follower, and you know this, especially if you're married, no follower of Jesus will ever be perfect. If my wife was here, she'd be like, yep, he's definitely not perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. There, there's, and all of us grow and produce fruit at different rates, and there's no competition. But, but the bottom line is this, Every person who is really a follower of Jesus will produce fruit. That's what the Bible says. They will produce the fruit of the Spirit at some rate. Maybe it'll be faster than it just They will produce fruit. An orange tree produces oranges. An apple tree produces apples. And as we interact with these, these questions and kind of this topic, there, there's some there's some things that it should lead to. And, and here, here's what it should lead to. It should lead us to evaluate. And, and here's what I mean. Just, it, it's a good time to just about, am I really a follower of Jesus? Again, we all grew up in different scenarios. Maybe you were deeply hurt by the church and, and you walked away from a Jesus that wasn't even the Jesus of the Bible. 
And now you're kind of coming back and you're discovering, maybe this thing's different than what I was taught as a kid. Maybe this Jesus is better than what I thought. Have you embraced Jesus? Are you a follower? It's a, this is a good time to evaluate. You don't want to get to the end of your life and be like, well, God, I went to church and I, I even I served at sports camp a little bit. I even put a little money in the, in the, in the offering plate once in a while. And, and you don't want to hear God say to you, but I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. And people will hear that. So evaluate. The second thing this should kind of lead us to is should lead us to be grateful. And here's what I mean. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be grateful that Jesus saved you and that he is producing fruit in your life. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should be grateful that God has you here today and has given you an opportunity to follow him. It's an evidence of God's grace and his love for you that you're here today hearing this. And you should be grateful. And then, then the last thing it should lead us to, it should lead us to love people. See, Jesus said in his writing, he said it several different times in different ways, but, but the bottom line is he said the greatest evidence of a transformed life on the inside is how you love people on the outside. He didn't say, hey, the greatest, the greatest thing that shows that you're my follower is if you know the most. No, he said, the, the way that you're going to see that people have been transformed on the inside is how they love people on the outside. That's what Jesus said. And so, man, when we, we talk about this, it should lead us to, man, love and ask God, God, help me to love people well. And we do that individually. Obviously, you, you, you need to do that individually just like I do. But we also do that corporately. Our, our belief should lead us individually and also corporately to love people and love our area well. And so this summer, and on your way out, you're going to get one of these. And if you haven't already, if you haven't picked up one of these little chicken stickers, you probably want to get one of those too because they're pretty cool. But you're going to get one of these things on your way out. And what this does is this is going to show you Four different things that we're doing in this next about month and a half that are going to show our community we're for you. We love you. We don't want anything from you. We just want to love you and serve you. And, and so we're going to do a couple things. Along with sports camp, we're going to do, we're, we're calling them three pop-up parties. So on July 7th, we're going to do a pop-up party at Sam Brennan Park. We've already got Kona Ice. They're going to show up at 6 o'clock. We're going to pass up balloons. We're going to tell people, hey, from 6 to 7, Kona Ice is on us. We're going to pass out as many of these stickers as possible just for some fun. We're just going to have a great time. We're not going to ask for anything. We're not going to want anything. We're just going to pop up in Sam Brennan Park and say, hey, Yuba Sutter, we're for you. And we want to show you that by just giving you some free Kona Ice and some balloons and just making you smile. Then we're going to do the same thing on July 30th. We're going to show up Saturday morning at Seal House Coffee, and we're going to say, hey, from 9.30 to 10.30, your drinks are on us. We just want you to know we love you and we're for you. That evening, July 30th, we're going to show up in a park in Plumas Lake, and we're going to do the same thing and just say, hey, here's a balloon. Here's some free Kona ice. We love you. 
we're for you. And then in August, we're going to do a backpack drive. And you'll hear about this in the next few weeks because we need to start collecting school supplies. But we want to provide, there's families in our community, there's children in our community that will not have what they need for school. And we don't, we're not okay with that. And so we're going to do our part. We're going to help some of those families because what we believe should affect how we live individually, but it also should affect how we treat and love our community as a gathering. And here's, here's, here's what I have. I have a hunch that people are more open to the message of Jesus when they experience the love of Jesus. I just have a hunch that when people hear that we're for them and that Jesus loves them and we do it in a tangible way, I just have a feeling that God might open up some really good conversations and we might be able to tell them about Jesus. See, my prayer is that when our community sees Jesus' love and he hears their, his message, that he'll become irresistible to them. The same way that for many of you, there came a point in your life where you said, I can't say no anymore. And you said yes to Jesus. That's what my prayer is. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the letter your brother wrote. Such a practical letter that uh, talks about so many issues that he, he could have wrote this letter today and it was just, it's just so relevant. And Lord, it, I pray as an individual myself that, man, I, I do want to study your word. I want to know theology. I want to know more about you, God. That's so important. But I pray that as a pastor that I will be known for how I love people more than what I know. And God, I pray for, for this gathering. I pray for each person here this morning and anyone that's watching online. I pray that today would be a day where we would just evaluate. Are we really a follower of Jesus? And if we're not... I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Maybe you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you would say, hey, Chris, I've been around Jesus followers. I, I know some information about Jesus, but I have never stepped over the line of faith. And today I want to do that, Chris. Well, just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching this online, you can do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just talk to God? Would you just tell God, tell God, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. Just tell him right in your heart. Tell God that, man, I believe that Jesus died for me and he rose from the grave. Just tell him. And then just ask him, God, come into my life. Change me. Make me new. I want to follow you. Just tell him. If you're here today and you, you did that, or you're watching online, now we'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to know about it. You can let us know by just filling out that decision card right in front of you. It's right there in front of you. Fill that out. Let us know the decision you made and just drop it in the offering basket on the way out. If you're watching online, you can... Go to citywalk.cc and there's a, there's a card there that you can fill out. We would love to rejoice. Or if you have questions, you're not sure, 
we'd love to talk to you. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, this is a great opportunity for us to be grateful that Jesus saved us and that he is producing fruit. And his desire isn't that we work harder for him. His desire is that we get to know him better, that we, the intimacy we have with him will lead to a changed life. And so I pray today that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would lean in to your relationship with Jesus, that you would confess any sin that's in your heart, and that you would ask God, God, would you continue to produce the fruit of your spirit so that my life will count for eternity? God, I pray that you would do your work in our heart and that we would have the courage to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.